that's a story of this week that we are already celebrating here, uh, Palm Sunday, the day when we traditionally remember that Jesus went into Jerusalem, cheered on by the crowds. Uh, Thursday, celebrating Monday, Thursday, certainly hope that you'll be a part of that with us. We have a service here at 7 o'clock, just remembering what Jesus did with his disciples and sharing the Last Supper with them. And then, of course, on Friday what we call Good Friday, and um, I pray wherever you are on that day at 12 o'clock that you might just take some time to remember what the Lord has done um, by sending His Son to the cross to die for us, and uh, at that time is traditionally when we think about Jesus uh, going to the cross for us. And then, of course, next Sunday, which is Resurrection Sunday, the day that is the high point of our Christian faith. And can we just take a moment, and can we just thank God in advance for what He did through Jesus on that day? Can we say amen to that? Okay? Yeah! So exciting. So a great, great week. We hope that you are a part of it. I want to welcome those of you who are listening in the venue and those who are online as well. We have been going through a series on uh, sharing our faith and seeing the mandate that God has given to us to be his spokespeople, to be his spokesmen, spokeswomen, uh, of sharing our faith with those we come into contact with. And so let me start out reading that story that um, is familiar to many, but maybe not all, the triumphal entry into Jerusalem. Um, Palm Sunday is what we know it by. Uh, Luke chapter 19. I'll pick it up in verse 29. It says, when he, that is Jesus, drew near to Bethpage and Bethany at the mount that is called Olivet or the Mount of Olives, he sent two of his disciples saying, go into the village in front of you where on entering you will find a colt tied on which no one has ever yet sat. Untie it and bring it here. If anyone asks you, why are you untying it? You shall say this, the Lord has need of it. So at this point, Jesus was kind of a, um, a well-known, popular figure in that area. And the words, the Lord has need of it, kind of cleared the way. No further explanation was needed for them. And so it happens just as uh, Jesus told them. And verse 35 says, they brought it to Jesus, and throwing their cloaks on the colt, they set Jesus on it, and as he rode along, they spread their cloaks on the ground as he was drawing near, already on the way down the Mount of Olives. And let me stop the story there for just a moment. Um, you can see here by this picture, let me uh, go ahead and put that up there. Um, that here's the city of Jerusalem. If you've never been there, it's kind of set high upon a hill. And here would be the Mount of Olives where Jesus was. And so he was probably coming around down this way. The Kidron Valley is here, walking through here and up and entering into the East Gate. Go ahead and show the next picture there. Uh, this is what it looks like today. So it might have been, this is from the Mount of Olives into the city that is high upon the hill. Could have been along the road such as this that uh, people were starting to cheer him on and uh, um, say these words that are so familiar on Palm Sunday, Hosanna, Hosanna, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Let me go on to verse 37 and pick that back up then. He was drawing near already on the way down the Mount of Olives, and the whole multitude of his disciples began to rejoice and praise God with a loud voice for all the mighty works that they had seen, saying, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. 
peace in heaven and glory in the highest. So the picture there again is going down the Mount of Olives into the city of Jerusalem. The people understanding now that a prophecy was being fulfilled before them, which was Zechariah 9.9 that talked about uh, a king would ride in on a colt, on a donkey. And so Jesus enters here from the east, which is very significant because he's not on a horse like a warring king. He's not on foot, but he's on a donkey, uh, not a political figure that was going to captivate the entire city, but the people didn't fully know that yet. They felt, and they were hoping that he would overthrow Rome, but that's not why Jesus came. He didn't come to be a political figure. He came to bring peace into people's hearts, maybe not into the lives that they were living outwardly and amongst the political system and the sociological system, but in their hearts. So verse 39 And some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to him, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. He said, I tell you, even if these were silent, the very stones would cry out. And in my ESV version, that's kind of where the story ends, or at least they break up the section, the pericope. But I want to go to the next one, and some of your versions might flow right through because I think it's so important. It says, when he, that is Jesus, drew near and saw the city, he, what's the word there? He what? He wept over it, saying, Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for peace. The people were grasping for peace in in any way that they could. And they were hoping that this was a peace for their nation. They were hoping that this was a peace that, that would come to the government and overthrow the Roman government that was so oppressive to them. But Jesus was coming in to usher in a way deeper peace. And let me just remind you, as we're in this political year, 2016, and many of us have probably seen the primary, uh, some primary results, and California's is coming up in early June. You've seen the debates going on. You've seen uh, Republicans, Democrats preparing for a new leader in 2016. You're going to hear a lot of promises. The people will always disappoint. Remember that. People will always disappoint us. Do not put your hope in human leaders. People will always disappoint. And the people didn't get this. Even though Jesus, who Jesus never disappoints, he's the one that the people were looking to, they had the wrong reason attached to him. They thought he was going to do this in a different way. And so they were looking for something different than what Jesus was really bringing. That was a peace that was inwardly and to the heart. And and let me remind you again, going back to verse 41, because this is really what draws Jesus to this city and should draw us to people. Verse 41 again, when he drew near and saw that city, and it wasn't just the city, it was the people who were in the city. It was people along the road. It says he wept. He wept. His heart went for That's the motivating factor, his heart for the lost. And it should be the reason that we are compelled as well to share our faith because of the heart that we have for those who do not have a peace, who are looking for peace in any way they can find it other than God. Show of hands, how many of you saw the movie in the last, I think it's been out for four or five weeks, the, the movie Risen? Any of you see that? Okay, 
Quite, quite a few of you have, have seen that. For those of you who haven't, um, it's out of the theaters now. And so I'd encourage you to, to get it on uh, Redbox or Netflix or whatever it is when it comes out. But let me tell you just a little bit about the story. Our, our community group went and saw that this, this past week. Um, and it's a story about a Roman centurion, actually the one who was there and gave the commands for the spear to be thrust into the side of Jesus and to finally uh, finish his time on the cross. And so it's a fictional story. Not, not true, but it does, the director does a wonderful job of kind of throwing you into the story and saying, what if? Think deeper into what's going on around these situations. And so the, the Roman centurion's name is, is uh, Clavius. And um, he, uh, he has a conversation with Pilate after all these events have happened. He is going to be the one in charge of, of keeping the peace in the city. As the people are in upheaval, he's in charge of, of making sure Jesus stays in the tomb. That the seals are on there, that nobody comes by and steals his body. Uh, and yet, he says that the disciples did. Because it's now heard and known that Jesus is not in the grave anymore. He's gone. And so he's now in charge of finding the dead body of Jesus and showing that the people see, here he is. And Pilate and Clavius have a conversation in, in a bathhouse as they're kind of resting and, you know, busy events of the day. And they talk and have this discussion about what Clavius is looking for in life. He talks about, you know, kind of climbing the ladder and going to Rome and being in charge of many. But then he kind of talks a little even about, about a house for his family out in the country. And this word peace comes up, that that's what he's really looking for. That's what he's wanting and so on this quest for Jesus, he ends up finding, this quest to find his dead body, he ends up finding Jesus alive. And let me give you a spoiler alert, okay? If you don't want to listen, just, you know, plug your ears. He finds them when the disciples are in the upper room and Jesus appears to them. And here's this figure who walks in on that and looks around and sees this, per this face of the one that he knew was dead on the cross, and now he is alive. And he does not know how to handle this. He does not know what to do. Well, and what he ends up doing is he ends up going and becoming one of the disciples. He follows the band of disciples as they follow Jesus up into Galilee. And, and the story is just a, a wonderful, again, false story, fictional story, but just gets you thinking and, and what happens is Jesus ends up having a conversation with him one-on-one. -on -one. The same kind of conversation that Clavius and Pilate had. And Jesus now engages him in, Clavius, where are you really looking for your peace? What are you really looking for in life? And now able to say, you have now found that in me. So let me ask you. Just as that movie kind of asks every viewer the same question. What are you looking for, your peace? What are you looking for in life? Where are you trying to find that? And maybe even, if you can answer that, answer for the people that you know, the people all around you. Where are they looking for their peace? What are they trying to do in life? Let me go back to verse 41, 42. When Jesus drew near the city, he wept over it. Look at his words again. Would that you, even you, had known on this day the things that make for, what's the word there? Things that make for peace. That I bring that to you. 
in a way that the world never, ever will. Last week, if you were here, I introduced you to the uh, Oikos principle, and uh, it was a list that uh, people that we can be praying for, the people who are close to us in our lives, it's the 8 to 15 people that God has already placed amongst us, maybe their relatives, maybe their friends, maybe their neighbors, maybe their work associates, maybe their classmates, they're already in our lives, and if you um, didn't have a chance to be here last week or fill this out, we have more at the Next Step Center, I hope and encourage you to go pick one up, just to have it in your Bible, just to begin to pray pray. And as the Lord lays things upon your heart, you have this invitation card in your bulletin as well. Again, this is not for you. This is for people who don't know uh, what's going on next week and won't be in another church next week. And I hope that you will hand that out, share that with someone. But I was reminded this last week how important it is that people operate by this kind of thinking. On Tuesday morning, I was at our men's breakfast, and we were sharing just some thoughts, and all of a sudden, one of the men, whose name is Dan Davis, and he's over here in the corner. I think Dan's right over there. Usually, he and his wife usher at the back uh, uh, door. Um, He said, you know what? I was one of those people who was on the outside and was loved in by a family here at First Baptist Church. I said, who was it? He said, Mark Brown. Mark and Lori Brown were my next-door neighbors. He said, they prayed for me. They invited me. In fact, they invited me over a dozen times to come to church, and we kept saying, no, 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 no. And then Dan went into the hospital. He was having a surgery or an operation, a procedure that was being done. Who was the first one to go in and pray for him? His neighbor, Mark. And then he shares it with our church as well. And so our pastors begin to show up and we begin to pray for them as well. And after he gets out of the hospital, he says, you know what? Maybe I ought to try out this place, this First Baptist place. Maybe it's not such a bad place after all. And so Dan starts to come. His wife Violet starts to come. They had already had their son attending here for a number of years because Mark and Lori would take their son with them. Say, hey, you know what? Mom, dad won't want to go, but you come. You be a part of this. How did that all begin? How did, where did that all come from? Even though Mark and Lori didn't necessarily know the name Oikos, that was their Oikos. That was their family. That was their household. Those were the people God had already put into their lives. And they were witnessing. They were praying for them. They were inviting. They were investing in their lives. They were seeing people like Jesus saw people entering into the city of Jerusalem. You know, I shared this little card here. Someone else at our men's breakfast spoke up. He said, two years ago, Easter Sunday, I decided to go back to church for the very first time. Hadn't been in church for years. He said, I decided to go, and I made a deal. I said, God, I'll I'll keep going. I'll try a church out, and I'll try another one out. I'll try another one out. I'll try another one out, and then I'll find out what the best one is. Someone just handed him that card that week. As he was in the city of Stockton, just said, hey, would you like to come to my church? Ends up here at First Baptist. Never left. The first church he came to, he's stuck. He's still here today. In fact, he's very active and serving and doing other things uh, in, in our church. Just because someone extended the invitation and tried and said, why not? In fact, let me share with you a little bit about some thoughts. Because I know as we kind of think here in church, it's a little scary to do that type of thing. And not sure how people will respond. There was an article that was written by uh, Dr. Tom Rayner. And uh, he entitled it, 10 Surprises About the Unchurched. 
they did research for over three years. They traveled from California all the way to the East Coast. They went to the streets of America. They were diverse in the social economic uh, groups, in, in the um, uh, ethnic groups. They found males. They found females. They found the most educated people. They found some of the least educated people. Uh, every person in the study that they interacted with was either unchurched or non-Christian. And, and some amazing findings came out of that. They said... Share, they shared some of these in this, in this article. Let me read you just a few of them. One of the most surprising things that they found was that the unchurched feel guilty about not attending church. So as you're engaging with them, probably people already feel a little bit of, of their guilt. And, and why they felt guilty, they said because they didn't feel like they fit into the protocol of the church. They felt like if they went, they would be out of place. Look at the people on your left and your right. We have some pretty unusual characters around here at First Baptist Church, don't we? I think we do. I think most anyone can fit in around here. They just need to come. And you'll hear it. You'll hear people kind of say, oh, the church walls will fall down if I walk in because they don't think they're good enough. No, just come. Just come. In fact... 96% 96% of the people responded. Get this. This is, this is high. I hadn't heard it quite this high. I had heard somewhere between 75 and, and 85. But they said 96% of the people who were asked were somewhat likely to attend church if they were invited. 96%. The problem is only 2% of us churchgoers invite people. 2%. 2%, and anywhere from, from uh, 75% probably to, to 95, 96% is what this says, ended up saying, sure, I, I would try it out. I would go. Someone would invite me. It is a lot higher, though, percentage with people who already know you because they know you're not too weird. Or maybe some of you are. I, I don't know. You know, what, what are they going to do there? I'm not sure. They're going to call me out. They're going to make me, make me read the Bible. They're going to know all my sins. What goes on there? You can just put them at ease. In fact, another stat they found out here was that many of the unchurched have a church background. They've been a part of something. Our neighbors, my neighbor, I, I would talk to him often, and, and, and he has a church background. He doesn't actively go now, but he has a church background. In fact, his wife shared some of her story. He shared his, her story with me, was a part of another uh, church, um, uh, what we would even call a cult, and just got turned off and pushed away from church, so she doesn't want to have anything to do with any church now. Many people have some sort of church background already. That maybe is a place for you to start in dialoguing and conversation. And then let me share one more kind of surprise that they found. They found that many of the unchurched are far more concerned about um, the spiritual well-being of their children more than themselves. I'd even add of their grandchildren more than themselves. It's exactly why Pastor Mark stood up before you and said, we've been in front of 4,000 kids to have them come and hear a presentation on Easter Sunday out in the back parking lot inside of a tent um, so that they can hear the gospel message as well as when their parents get to come in here um, because parents will come, grandparents will come if their kids start to come. There are people in your oikos, your 8 to 15, who need to be encouraged on their spiritual journey. 
And for some of them, they need to be encouraged back into a relationship with God. For some of them, they need to hear the message for the very first time through you. And, and you know, we do that here at the church. And normally when I say church, we kind of mean and we think about this building being the church. Folks, this is not the church. The church is not a place we go to. The church is something we are. Okay, understand how that works. You don't go to church. We are the church. It's a Greek word, ekklesia, which means those who are called out, those who are set apart, those who are called to be holy. That is what the church is. And so the church is not just location here. It's out in the community. In fact, the church isn't someplace you go. The church is someone you know. That's what the church is. And so you have to ask yourself, how well am I doing at sharing and representing my church? How well am I doing at sharing and representing my Lord? Because you may be the only church someone sees in their lifetime. How are we doing with that? Kind of reminds me of the joke about the man who is being tailgated by a stressed out driver. So he's driving his car. There's a car right on his bumper right behind. And he sees the light and the intersection up in front of him turn yellow. And so he dutifully stops his car and uh, stops and then turns red. She is right behind. She is laying on the horn. She is furious. She is so upset. She has her cell phone in one hand, her makeup in the other. And that goes flying all over the car. And all of a sudden in her mid-rant, she hears a tap on the window. She looks, and she sees a stern police officer looking into her car and saying, would you please exit the car? And as she exits the car, he makes her spread eagle there, right there, and frisks her and checks her up and takes her in the car, brings her down to the police station, fingerprints her, photographs her, places her in a holding cell. She's in there for a couple hours. And then she's brought back out to the booking table, and she's given her possessions once again. And he says, you know what, ma'am? I'm sorry for the mistake. See, I pulled up behind your car while you were blowing your horn and flipping him off and cussing like a blue streak out of him. And then I noticed that you had a what would Jesus do bumper sticker on your car. And you you had a choose life license plate. And you had a follow me to Sunday school bumper sticker. And you had a chrome-plated Christian fish emblem on your trunk. And so naturally, I assumed the car was stolen. (laughs) Ouch, right? That's an ouch. How many of us live like that? And then we tidy everything up on Sunday morning and then, okay, we're, we're good and we behave now and such. You know what? I'm not asking you to be holy just to be a witness. I'm asking you to be holy because God calls us to be holy. And as we are, we become these bridge builders. We become these people who people see we do things differently in our lives and they say, something is unique about that person. I think I'll listen more to them, not only what they say, but what they do as well. We need to help people, bridge builders, getting them back into a relationship with God. And often, the most effective way is just sharing with your folk, focusing on the people who are already around you, who are already close to you. And what's interesting is that God uses us in that process um, by giving us special giftings. See, we're gifted in different ways. Just like if you were buying um, uh, people uh, gifts at Christmas time, and you don't buy the same Christmas gift for everybody on your Christmas list, right? God has given each of us, his children, a part of his church, special giftings. 
that we use for his purposes. And these are specific um, spiritual abilities that he gives to us that he wants to use kind of to maximize performance in the church. And so we encourage and we build each other up by those giftings that he's given to us. In fact, just so I can know we're on the same page here, um, would you do me a favor and, and everybody in here raise your right hand? Okay, I, I want you to take the spiritual gifts vow. All right, you ready for it? Okay, repeat after me. I stink at most everything. Okay, put your hands down. You passed. All right, good for you. Good for you. See, you can't do everything. You can't reach everyone. In fact, if you try and evangelize everyone, oftentimes you evangelize no one. And so the principle here is focus on a few. Focus on, uh, uh, be focused on focus. That's the title of the message here. Be focused, niche thyself, if you're from the King James Version, all right? Find a niche and go after that. Focus on a few, but be available to however, be available to anyone and everyone, however God wants to use it. Okay, so what do you mean by that, Pastor Bray? Here's what I mean. You are all around those 8 to 15 people. They're in your life already. Okay, focus on them. But if God wants to use you in another way, for the people who you don't know, great. Let the Holy Spirit prompt you. Let the Holy Spirit lead you. Be available to anyone to be used. In fact, what I wanted to share was, um, uh, you can see it on your outline there, is in the box, the six styles of evangelism. This is already a message series I went over a couple years ago, so I won't go back over this. But if you were not here, or if you want to be refreshed on that, April 6th and April 13th, 2014. You can go on our online, you can watch the services when we spoke about these different styles. In essence, these are styles and personality traits and giftings that God gives us. And you can see, Peter was a very confrontational kind of person. He just laid it out calling people for what it was, and the Holy Spirit used him in that way. You see Paul, Acts chapter 17, the Holy Spirit used him in a logical, reasonable way, using his intellect to share um, a message with the Athenians. The blind man just stepped up and said, you know what, here's my testimony. He healed me. I was blind, but now I see. So there's my testimony. Dorcas was someone who was always helpful, says in Acts chapter 9, and so she used her giftings of service to move people along in their faith. The Samaritan woman, John chapter 4, when Jesus told her all that she had done, invited, invited, invited people as long as wherever she went in the city of Samaria. She went back in town and said, you've got to come and see this. And then you see Matthew chapter 5. There's the interpersonal relationships that Matthew builds with people. You know, I thought about that when I thought of those different styles. And I talked with Dan and Violet about um, why they started coming to First Baptist. You know what they said? They said, Mark and Lori live next door to us. And they always had these people coming over to their house from First Baptist. And they didn't have these big, you know, raucous parties, and they didn't have this alcohol and get all drunk, and they weren't firing guns up in the air and shooting them off and all that. They were just, they were just real people. He said one time even Mark was having uh, his roof put on, and there's a number of people who came from First Baptist to help him. And so there's the neighbor looking over the fence, seeing what they're doing, seeing how they're acting, and meeting people over the fence. That's how it began. It began from a place of saying, hey, we're just real people. And then it went to a place of inviting them to come and be a part of what we're doing here. Focus on whatever giftings God has given to you. Whatever personality style you have, focus on a few, but be be available to all as the Holy Spirit leads. 
In fact, I, I know many times we kind of like to hear uh, some of the dramatic witnessing stories of how God uses people. I, I've been exposed and been a part of some of those at, at times. Years ago, I remember hearing about a great story about a man who was in a busy big city, and he was walking across a crowded intersection, and there was a police officer out in the middle of the intersection who was directing traffic, you know, as they do that, and he just felt the Holy Spirit telling him to tell the police officer, God loves you. He's like, that's kind of a strange thing to do. Don't make me do that. And so he just kept on walking. He got four or five blocks away, and the Holy Spirit would just not give up on him. Do it. Do it. Go back. Go back. This is what I want you to do. Finally, to get the Holy Spirit off his case, he turns back around, walks through, walks through the intersection once again, catches the police officer's uh, attention and says, "Uh, excuse me, officer, um, but God just told me to tell you that he loves you. Started to continue walking and sees the police officer just stop. And all of a sudden, tears come down through the cop's mirrored sunglasses on his cheeks he stops and he says, what? And the police officer says, I prayed to God for the first time last night in a long time. And I told him, if you are real, that the least you could do was send someone to tell me that he was there for me. They stopped traffic. They talked, they shared, they prayed, you know, received Christ. And we hear those stories and we think like, whoa. I mean, that, 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 that's amazing. And, you know, the speaker was like, okay, now, go out, witness to everyone you come into contact. And all the people, like, leave the conference, and they're, like, looking for police officers all around, right? And getting ready to witness to them and such. Yeah, yeah. In fact, some of you have had so many traffic tickets, the police officers are a part of your oikos. I don't know if you realize that or not. Yeah. Good friend up there. I know who he, I, I won't go into that, Okay. We hear those kind of stories and we think, wow, that's how, that, that's how I want God to use me. It's just, God sometimes does, but most of the time, he uses around the people who are closest in your families. I remember a number of years ago, uh, Carrie and I, my wife, we were out bicycling and we were going through the city of Stockton, just traveling around, and all of a sudden we get onto the same street as her uncle lives on, and she just stops. And, you know, we're side by side, or she's a little bit behind me, and I all of a sudden don't hear her back there. And so I stopped, and she's about 10 houses down. I turn around, look around, and she just stopped. I went back to her, and she said, I, I said, why'd you stop? She said, how about we just go and talk to my Uncle Ernie right now? So okay, let's go. We went in. We had a great conversation with him. We intentionally went in just to see how he was doing and to bring up whatever spiritual things and talk about the church and talk about our relationship with Christ that we could. We had a great talk with him. In fact, he hadn't been in church for years. In fact, what he did is when we started talking about the Bible, he says, oh, hold on, hold on, hold on. I got one of those. He goes into his room. You hear him kind of rummaging through different things. He brings it back. It's one of these, like, you know, one of these Bibles, right? He brings that in. He's like, boom, and all the dust kind of, woo, kind of comes off the page. Opens it up, creak, and, you know, it's like, yeah, see? See, I got some of that in here. We we had great conversations with him. So it, it led me to start to meet with him Every month, every other month, just to meet in his garage and talk. I, I give him CDs, I give him um, cassette tapes, and, and he'd listen to them. And, and then I'd come back and we'd talk and he'd share, and I'd share, and we'd talk some more. And I know he heard the gospel message over and over and over again. Now, he didn't come to a place of just like all of a sudden on the ground accepting Christ. He did that. But when we did his funeral, I felt at peace that he knew the Lord at that time. 
and that he was at peace with his decision he made. All because my wife was sensitive to the Holy Spirit of saying, why don't we just start right here? Why don't we have a conversation that led to many other things? Be open to that as the Spirit leads you. But remind, let me remind you, everything we do needs to be motivated by love. Not to treat them as a project. Not to be like, oh, my pastor said we should do this. Or, oh, God's word says I got to do this. No, it's a, it's a sense of love that we have for them. Just as Jesus, going into the city of Jerusalem, saw the city. Remember what it says? Heartfelt, he wept for them. Because they were looking for peace in other places. If I look at the verse there out of 1 John 3.16. It says, by this we know love. That he laid down his life for us, and we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. I mean, that's what this week is all about. To, to the fullest extent of God's love, it culminated with him allowing his son, Jesus, to go to the cross. And there's an interesting object lesson that Jesus gives his disciples as he's going to the cross. Remember what happens in the upper room on that Thursday, what we celebrate Monday, Thursday. Remember what he did? He got down and he took off his uh, outer garment. He took out a wash basin and a, a towel and he began to what to the disciples? He began to wash their feet. Showing, I've come to serve you. In fact, the verse there is out of John chapter 13. Let me read just a few. It says, when he had finished washing their feet and put out on his outer garments and resumed his place, he said to them, do you understand what I have done to you? You call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for I am. And if I then, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you an example that you also should do just as I have done to you. And the very next day, showing them the fullest example of the Father's love, went to the cross to die for each of those disciples. Went to the cross to die for you and for me. Died an excruciating death. Why? To show his love back to the Father. So we could be back in relationship with God. The incredible love that God has given to us. And the story of the cross is so powerful. It's a place where we come and we realize everything is level at the cross. It's a place where God's love is on all of mankind. It's been given to us freely by grace. And objects, let me say it this way, an object's value is determined by the price that's paid for it. Think about that. An object's value is determined by a price that's paid for it. You go to an auction. Someone says, well, I'll pay $30 for that. Well, I'll pay $40 for that. I'll pay $100 for that. I'll pay $500 for that. Whatever they get that for. That's the value of the object. And realize the value God has placed upon you because he has sent his son to die for you. That's the value he's placed on you. In 2002, there was an interesting occurrence that happened. Um, there had been some chalk drawings that were sold to the Smithsonian Institute in the 1940s. And here is the actual chalk drawing that I'm speaking of. It was uh, sold for about $60, this one drawing and a, and a few other ones. 
And in 2002, they discovered these drawings in a maid's quarter in the Smithsonian Museums. As um, some experts looked at this, they said, hey, you know what, these look a little similar to some other things that we have noticed before. And they discovered that these drawings were actually done by Michelangelo. And so from when they were sold in the 1940s for $60, today they are priced at over $12 million. What's the difference? The difference is they now know the artist that did the drawings, and the demand for them are great. They're high. That's the only difference. Your life is marked by what God gave up for you at the cross. Your life is marked by the death of his son, his only son, which was so incredibly valuable to him, and he gave it up for you. And if you were the only one here today, he would have done it for you. That's the power of the cross. That's the message of the cross, that God provided a way back for us into relationship with him, not by anything we could do, not by the perfection of our life, because we'd never reach it, but by the cross And what Jesus did for us, of paying the penalty for the sin sacrifice that needed to be paid because of the sins that we have committed to him. And what that cross means is that his love is available to anyone and everyone. And when we receive that love, what Jesus now wants us to realize is we are now bearers of that love and we give that love back out as it says there as Jesus entered the city of Jerusalem and he wept. Oh, that you would look for and know about the peace that I want to give to you, to you. And if you've discovered that peace, God is saying, would you share that with others? And if today you have not yet discovered that peace, we're going to take a moment here. And we're just going to pause and we're going to say, okay, this is business time. If you're ready, God's ready. Because this week is the high point of our faith. If you've not yet made that decision, make it today so that you can enter into this glorious week and know exactly what it's about. Would you pray with me? God, I I thank you for an opportunity we have to know our value and to know our worth. To know that it's not based upon what the world says, but it's based upon what you say and that you have given your son to die on the cross for us. And because of that, we are priceless. God, you could have not attached any higher value to your son, but you gave him for us so that that we might have a relationship with you. And folks, I know there are hundreds of you who have already made that decision to know Christ. You love him, you serve him. I just want to continue to challenge you to see the world around you with his eyes and with his ears. Listen for what he is doing. Let the Holy Spirit lead you as your heart's broken to understand how we can share with people who don't know. But Lord, I I know that today I'm standing in front of many who have not yet prayed to receive Christ into their life. And so folks, if that is you, if today you're not sure, you've heard the gospel message. You understand now that God sent his son into the world to die for you, to make a sacrifice, a payment for your sin and for my sin. And by receiving that in faith, that God calls you into relationship with him. 
And so today, if you're ready to say, yep, I don't want to do it my way anymore. God, I'm going to do it your way. I ask for forgiveness of my sins. I make a U-turn. I'm not following the world's ways. I'm not following my ways. I'm following yours. That's called repentance. And Jesus says, I will come into your heart just by faith. God, it almost seems too easy. But we do it in giving our entire lives to you. And if today, if you prayed that prayer, wherever you're at, God knows. God sees your heart. I would just challenge you to take one more step beyond this. To talk to the friend who you came with today or that you know beside you. Come down and share with one of our pastors here or out in our Welcome Center at our Next Step Center. There's some information. They have a Bible. They have some literature. We want to help you to understand fully what it means. But in your own heart right now, you're just praying the words, Jesus, today I ask you to come into my life. Thank you. Thank you for what the cross means. God, I I thank you for the new believers in Christ who, even right now, might have prayed that prayer to know you personally. And God, it's just the beginning of the journey. It's a journey that you give to us that we might walk in fellowship with you and we might understand more about what you mean by the peace, the shalom that you give to your people. God, it doesn't come from worldly things. It doesn't come from others. It only comes from you. And so today, as we experience that through your incredible love and through the teaching of your word and through your instruction in the Holy Spirit, God, may we walk in fellowship with you as we're obedient to helping others take those steps as well. We love you, and we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen.